Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the Psalms. It's Psalm 67, and uh, I'd like your help in this. If uh, you want to share a Bible with somebody near to you who hasn't got one, uh, that way we're going to read uh, responsively. Uh, that, by that I mean I'll start with the first verse, and then I'd like you to read the second and throughout. So Psalm 67, this is God's Word. We thank Him for it. And it's good that it's heard in the sense of reading it out loud in this way. Note, uh, we're doing the series on the Beatitude, which is blessing. And it begin, this psalm begins and ends with God's blessing being conferred upon his people. So we have Psalm 67. I'll begin at verse 1, and then if you read verse 2 and throughout. May God be gracious to us. And bless us, and make his face shine upon us. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. We thank God for his word to us. Well, this is the last now of the Beatitudes that we've been pursuing, and we're thinking uh, this morning under the heading, Living Differently, Living Differently. We've had a, a rather brief exposure to these Beatitudes, and we've taken them in pairs, and Neil and I were talking about this and not sure if that was the best way to do it, because each of them have uh, so much to say to us. However, that's what uh, we have done, and we come now to um, Matthew chapter 5, and these last two Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the children of God, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that's Matthew 5, 9 and 10. <clears throat> but here's one big, big qualification, and it's this, that these Beatitudes are not given to us. They are not about Christian doctrine. Christian doctrine is very important, but that's not the thrust and the drive and the emphasis of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not now talking about the content of our faith. What he is talking about, if you like, is the conduct of the believer. It's not about Christian doctrine. It's about Christian living. And we would miss the point if, with this brief series, we think differently and nothing more. The, the heading is a very important one. Living differently. Living differently. And, of course, we know that Jesus modeled these beatitudes, a derivation of two words, beautiful attitudes. And this is the point that he expects no less from those who profess to know him and to love him. If we do that, 
and our lives are shot through with contradictions of these beatitudes, then we've got some serious things to do. Not in our thinking, but in the way we relate to each other. I want to give you a quote. And I want, I'll, I'll give it twice, and I want you to think about it. See what you think is the... It won't come up in the PowerPoint, because I, I, I read this uh, independently, and uh, so here it is. So the context is Jesus not so much interested in our thinking at this point. That is important, but he is now interested in our living. Kingdom people living out his grace in a hostile world. It's character. It's conduct. Okay, here's the quote, which I read in uh, the Scripture Union notes recently. Faith is something you are ready to die for. Doctrine is something you are prepared to kill for. There is a world of difference between the two. I'm going to say it again, and then I'm going to ask you very quickly. Uh, you shout it out, and I'll repeat it. Um, where do you think that comes from. Okay? Faith is something you're ready to die for. Doctrine is something you're prepared to kill for. There is a world of difference between the two. Who said it or what's its origin or context? Any suggestions? This is lovely on this pulpit like this, isn't it? Any thoughts? No? Quickly? No. You're thinking. Martin Luther? No. That's a good guess. Yeah? No? Gandhi's? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. He probably would say that. No, not Bonhoeffer. Okay. Tony Benn, the Labour Party, 1925. <laughs> now I know you were thinking church and so on. Yeah, it's true. That's it. That's the quote. Tony Benn, the Labour Party, 1925. Faith. And he was thinking of the party which all his life he's loved and served and defended and worked. Faith is something you are ready to die for. Doctrine is something you're prepared to kill for. There's a world of difference between the two. And in the Beatitudes, there's a world of difference between winning arguments and winning lives and living out the grace of God. And sometimes among us, with well-meaning evangelicals, we tend to stop a doctrine and can compromise a bit on living, living differently. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, and so on. You find this coming through constantly in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we're just going to do... Um, well, yeah, just one cross-reference here. If you turn to Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, you know that classic uh, extract of the New Testament hymn. Um, in Philippians 2, speaking about Christ's humility, and how we're called to imitate him. But the key verse before the hymn is this, in verse 5. Your attitude. You see, beautiful attitude. Yeah, make the connection. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who, being in nature God and so on, and you have that, that hymn. Do you see, it's very important to make the connection. 
So let's look at these uh, very quickly under two headings. The first is, and very quickly, a pattern for each beatitude. And I'd like you to do your own exercise now. Um, and it's this. Look at any of these beatitudes and you'll find that they, they dovetail together in exactly the same way. Just, for example, uh, for the purpose of what we're doing, look at verse 3. Okay, there it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are three things that come out of this and all these beatitudes. And, and the sheer, I was going to say genius, but the beauty and incisiveness of Jesus saying this, that he, he, he wanted his disciples to be absolutely sure about this. So here it is. The first, each one begins with an assurance of God's blessing. Do you see it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The person, he or she, who knows that they are spiritual paupers before God and deserve nothing. That's, that's where you begin. So, it begins with an assurance of God's blessing. Do you see that? And then, secondly, look, for instance, at verse 4. You can look at any of them, but uh, this will suffice. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. People who are genuinely grieved that they are not worthy of God's grace, they grieve about their sinfulness, find enormous comfort. People who are self-sufficient find no comfort at all. So, each one describes an assurance of God's blessing. Secondly, each one describes a kingdom characteristic. Here is a characteristic of people who are part of God's kingdom, kingdom people. Look, those who mourn, they will be comforted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And then thirdly, each one ends with a promise of what lies ahead. It's not the end of it here. And, and, and you can see this in, in verse 8 to 10, for example. How do things uh, come to, uh, if you like, a uh, an application for us what, of what lies ahead. Right? So here they are. Uh, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Do you ever sometimes wonder, I perhaps, perhaps negatively, where is God in this? And then you look back and you say, I, I, can see, I, I can see where God is working. Or blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. And Here's the rub. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted, not for being difficult or awkward or angular, but blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's this future uh, promise linked to it. So that's the way that you can look at each beatitude. I think you'll find that is a key that opens it up for us. Very simply, but it helps us to live differently. And the second thing is this. That's the pattern, if you like, and this is the progression. These Beatitudes describe healthy attitudes for um, healthy living, healthy relationships, in four different ways. The first, we have, here is, what about, and I've, I've deliberately put the, I know that sometimes sermons can be a bit quaint, but uh, uh, each of these words begins with the same letter so that you'll remember them, that's all. Okay, so these four ways in terms of healthy attitudes are, our attitude towards ourselves. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest, uh, fairest of it? Is it I? Well, it's not like that, is it? Or our attitude towards our sins. 
Have we learned to live in a comfort zone with, with our sins and our imperfections? Our attitude towards our Savior. How do we relate to him through these Beatitudes and our attitude towards our society? So those four things with that same letter, I think, will perhaps help for the memory. So our attitude towards ourselves, very quickly, verse 3. I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm not patronizing. I mean it. Now, it may be that you haven't come to that state, that you, you've, you've lived your life in a way by comparing yourself with others, and you, you compare very favorably. But that's the wrong yardstick. It's before God's grace and his redeeming love and his cross and his, his love poured out for us. My attitude towards myself, I am spiritually bankrupt. The fact that I might be better than some people or worse than others is irrelevant, utterly irrelevant. It's honesty with ourselves. It's living differently as best we can in the absence of pretense. And the hymn writers come in. You know, Rock of Ages is a remarkable hymn. And one verse says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Helpless look to you for grace. Naked look to you for dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. And that is the confession of somebody who realizes they need God's mercy. Our attitude towards ourselves. And that is a key that opens up the rest of these. Look at verses 4 to 6, our attitude towards our sins. Do we grieve? Do we mourn? Do we excuse ourselves? No, I know we can go the other way and beat ourselves up too much. And it isn't easy to get it right. I, I appreciate that. But nevertheless, look at, you see, look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Is there any greater comfort than knowing the Savior loves you, despite who you are and what you are? There's enormous comfort there. Sometimes you don't like yourself. Blessed are the meek, not the opinionated and the arrogant and the self-sufficient. They will inherit the earth. What a contradiction. Apparently, but not so. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Thirdly, so our attitude towards ourselves, and then we make a progression to uh, our sins. Now our Savior, because one of the things that Jesus is doing here is challenging his disciples, having come to faith, live it out, live it out. Now if you look at the, at the disciples, one betrayed him, those denied him, some left him. They, they haven't arrived. We're not talking about perfectionism. We're talking about God's grace working in imperfect people like you and me. But what is our attitude towards our Savior? So verses 7 and 8. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why is it that we don't see God working enough in our day? Is it that we are jaded or that the, the lack of purity of heart? The pure in heart will see what the impure never see. They see God. God working. 
God blessing. God changing lives. How humbling is that? And now we come to these last two, and that's the context of this. And do do you see it then? A peacemaker. A peacemaker in a troubled world. Or can I say perhaps nearer home? A peacemaker in a troubled family. Standing between two factions, if you like. Peacemaking is something God values so much in our lives, in our homes, in our communities. Peacemaking. You notice, it's not, this would be, this would be easy, wouldn't it? Blessed are the peace lovers. Love peace. That's being passive, it's okay. But you, that's what you have to do. You make peace. It's something that you make. It's unique to you. So, verse 9 probes these questions that I, I'd like to put to you. See, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons or the children of God. Living out differently. So, the question. Who are you? Who are you? Well, you would say, I'm a child of God. By grace, through faith, I trust in him. I'm his child. Okay then, second question. What are you? What are you? Could you say, hand on heart, I'm a peacemaker? Or, I'm a troublemaker? Think of families fragmenting and polarized because of trouble unresolved. A peacemaker. I'm not simply somebody who advocates peace or preaches about peace, or reads the peaceful beatitude. I make peace. It's hard to make peace. Jesus made peace by his blood shed on the cross. How hard's that? I'm not simply a lover of peace. I make it. And you and I are called in in the imperfection of life, of family, of work and society and and wherever we are. So I would want to ask you a question then. And it's right and I ask myself and it's this. In your relationships, when did you last resolve a conflict? At personal cost to yourself. I'd like to answer that to you. Chances are you don't want to get involved. And it may be a long time. Maybe you did try and you got your fingers burnt very badly. But blessed are the peacemakers. It's easy to be a spectator, isn't it? So easy. 
But you are making peace, not watching it. Another question we could ask is this. When did you cause a conflict at personal cost for someone else? It's the complete opposite, isn't it? Which is it? Blessed are the peacemakers. It isn't easy. But it is possible. For we are kingdom people and we are called to live differently. That doesn't make us any better than anybody else. But it does mean that we are God's people by grace. And this is our attitude, interestingly, under the heading, towards our Savior. Living out what we have experienced through him. And we come to the, the last, uh, as we progress through all these, which is sort of a summary of them all, really, and, and that is our attitude towards our society. This is our world. This is our time. Some people like to live in the 18th century, the great Puritans, or live in the 19th century, great revivals, but that's not us. This is where we are. This is where it's at. It's now. This is our day, our society. And... If we live like this, brace yourself. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a qualification here. Blessed are you if you could because of righteousness. But not because of unrighteousness. Not by being foolish or being angular or being an oddball. Nothing just by living out this grace of God. Blessed. And our attitude towards our society increasingly it seems to me our world is not a friend of God or his people they don't mind some religion but this whole idea of repentance and faith and trust and obedience and all that is a little bit uh, too far Increasingly, our world is not a friend of God or God's people. Now, that does not give us a persecution complex. On the contrary. But it should prepare us that there are people who are going to criticize and oppose what we do. Whether that's to do with a simple thing like extending an old church building to be functional. Or being different with a colleague at work. Try it and see. Do you choose, don't you? You go with the flow, or you don't. Like it or not, there is a conflict between the world and between the believer. Why? Well, precisely because of these beatitudes in these four ways. If I'm clear about my attitude towards myself, if, if I'm sure about how I see my sins as being forgiven, if I'm sure about my relationship with my Savior, well, now I live it out in my society, in this world. This is where it's at, those four ways. But finally, there would be a word of caution. We must not be surprised if persecuted for these attitudes. Don't be surprised. 
Uh, in the notes, I want to read a, a quote to you and see what you make of this. Thinking about verse 10, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here it is. Persecution is an embarrassment for Western Christians. Or rather, the lack of it is. There is so much in the scriptures that prepare the disciples for a rough ride, for suffering and pain. In this world, that when it does not happen, we are thrown by the experience. And here he probes the question, are we simply not worth persecuting? I wonder. Are we so alike, so in step, so much like this world in values, lifestyle, priorities and everything that actually we're not different at all? And if you're not different, you're not persecuted. We must not be surprised if persecuted for a Christian attitude to ethical issues, personal relationships. It, to me, it's, it's, it's tiresome in the extreme. People say, oh, times have changed. How, how original is that? No more than human nature. And speak, out, speak out about moral issues, and for sure you won't be popular, because everybody's doing it, so it's okay. Now, if we're taking the moral high ground and living in a contradictory way, I mean, look at the church and how it rightly has been criticized for that. Fair enough. The, the challenge for us is this today. Be sure that we are not persecuted for being foolish or being arrogant or being proud, which is a complete contradiction of the Beatitudes. Essentially, we have to do two things. The first, we need to resist the devil's beatitudes. He's got them. He's, if you've read C.S. Lewis' scripted letters, it's fascinating to see this ploy with God and the devil and so on. And here are some of his, the devil's beatitudes. They run a bit like this. Blessed are they who are too tired and too busy to go to church or to pray. They are my best workers. There's a good beatitude for you. Fully paid up evangelicals. Too tired, too busy. Blessed is the church where members expect to be invited to their own church. They are part of the problem, not the solution. Blessed are those who gossip, for they cause strife that pleases me so much. Blessed is he or she who professes to love God, but hates his brother and sister. He will be with me forever. Blessed are the troublemakers. They will be called the children of the devil. You see what I'm doing? Pushing it to its extreme to make the point. Blessed is he or she who has no time to pray. They will be easy prey for me. 
There is an alternative, isn't there? It's the counterculture. It's the different spirit, the different attitude, and ultimately the different destiny. And our response is to the Lord's beatitude. Blessed, blessed, blessed indeed. And that psalm that we read, I just want to uh, conclude with it now as we come to the Lord's table. It's a delightful psalm and it's quite concise and it begins with a request. I'll read it to you. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. I hope that you sense that's what he's doing now. May he do that. And the psalmist, of course it's a song really, um, borrows from a very select, privileged tribe, the Aaronic priesthood. And he takes that select, privileged tribe and applies it to a bigger tribe and then to the nation of Israel and then to the world. And how? Well, of course, this becomes a messianic psalm that through the Messiah coming, he confers blessing upon us. And and look at it. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. May the peoples praise you, O God. Then the land will yield its harvest. God will bless us. God will bless us. All the ends of the earth will fear him, revere his name. But it is as we respond personally like that, or collectively as a, as a family like Aaron's priesthood, or a nation, or a tribe. Think of the blessing. Think of that blessing that bubbles over and brings blessing to others as well as ourselves, living differently. How true it is then, blessed, blessed are those who trust me.